Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Free Agent Frenzy is coming up this weekend. You and I are doing something that people around the country try to avoid doing, but we're doing it willingly. We're going to the office on a Sunday. We are going to the office on a Sunday, and we're going to be together, and our editors have promised to bring us sandwiches, so it's just going to be a blast. There will be, in fact, sandwiches, free agent frenzy. I'm hoping that uh, it is a situation where there's a lot of action, not only with free agents, but also trades. Uh, the cap going up, I've heard from a few GMs, is kind of a thing where they're like, oh, maybe teams don't have to necessarily sell off their assets as much as we thought they would. Uh, but we'll see how it works out. Clearly, there's a lot of needs. Emily and I collaborated on the needs for all 31 teams in an article that's on ESPN.com as we speak. Uh, so do check that out. Uh, but uh, without further ado, uh, let's get to it and uh, let's start the show. From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN On Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey everybody, it's ESPN On Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. Not to be confused with In the Crease, the TV show where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter. And uh, we are uh, getting it right underway to talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame announcement, uh, which which happened this week. Martin Brodeur, the New Jersey Devils, a stone-cold, unanimous lock first balloter. Do you know how much of a stone-cold lock that was? How much of a stone-cold lock was it? The schedule makers literally, and I was told they say literally too much on this podcast, so that'll not be the last time I say it, uh, made New Jersey play in Toronto on Hall of Fame weekend. Yeah, how great is that, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Anyway, Marty it was Sa- a lot. Mar- Marty San Louis, first ballot Hall of Famer, which was a bit of a surprise to be honest with you. I thought that really? much, mu- yeah, I-, I thought that much like Daniel Alfredson is now going to be into year three of the wait, um, that I thought San Louis might have to wait a year to get in. But first ballot, obviously deserving, has all the credentials you could want, and also the backstory you'd want uh, as far as being a diminutive player. Let's call him. Uh, speaking of weights, <laughs> Alexander Yakushev uh, had to wait many moons uh, to be in the Hall of Fame, but uh, the former Soviet player uh, played for Moscow, uh, Spartak, uh, at the age of 16 back in 1963. A lot of people remember him from the Summit Series and, and all that jive. Uh, he gets into the Hall of Fame, was playing uh, pickup pick up hockey in Russia. I love this, when, age when 71. Phone, when his phone rang at age 71, uh, a, a guy that a lot of people felt – uh, should have been in the hall, and, uh, and now he is. Uh, Jana Hefford of the uh, of Team Canada makes the cut. Uh, an absolute legend for Team Canada, and, and a factor in them winning multiple gold medals. Unfortunately, at the U.S.'s expense. Uh, and then we get to the builders. Willie O'Ree, baby, gets in finally. Long overdue. Willie O'Ree, the first black player in the history of the National Hockey League, a guy who has gone on to be uh, a decades-long serving ambassador for the NHL to reach. Uh, underserved communities. I mean, the definition of builder is a guy like Willie O'Ree, and the fact that he was on the outside looking in for this long is kind of kind of a joke. But hey, this is the Hockey Hall of Fame. They do many strange things, including inducting Gary Bettman to the Hall of Fame <laughs> in 2018. We talk a lot about transparency in our business, and the one thing the Hall of Fame does not have is transparency. So we have no idea how this transpired, who nominated him, what kind of support he had. Uh, going off of Ori, I think that transparency would be needed because I'm very curious of why he was left off the ballot for the last two decades. Um, you know, when you, like you said, he was surefire builder of the game, the work he's done. If you go on social media, every single black player in the NHL had a photo of him and Willie O'Ree talking about right. how he mentored him. That player would yeah. not be in the NHL if not for Willie O'Ree. Wayne, Wayne um, Simmons, P.K. Subban. A lot of people were very, very forthright and emotional about Willie getting in. Even uh, Eustace King, who was an agent, um, yeah. you know, he said that he opened the doors for me as well. Um, but yeah, so Gary Bettman, here we are. Look, I think you and I both agree. Gary Bettman deserves to be in the Hall of Fame eventually. Um, he, The things he has done to grow the game... Um, are immeasurable. When he came, revenues were about $400 million. Now they are over $4 billion, close to $5 billion. Uh, he grew the imprint of the United States as well as globally. That said, I'm very curious as to why the builders category, uh, you know, they don't have the same criteria as players where you have to be, what is it, out of the game for three years? Right. 
it just seems really tone deaf to do it right now as he's still an active commissioner. And there was just no urgency. There wasn't any urgency, and, and it, it's a three-year wait for players. It's uh, it's a situation where you can get in uh, straight away if you're a uh, a builder. Um, and, and he's not the first sitting. Pre- in the past, it was the NHL president, but it he, you know other guys have gotten in while we're we going to talk about the uh, Gill controversy, the, the, Gil, the Gillstein controversy. <laughs> you you could address that if you want. I don't really care. No, I'm uh, just surprised there weren't many more jokes about it. Yeah. Uh, the builder is a coaching managerial or executive ability or the ability in another significant office role, sportsmanship, character, contributions to his or her organization, organizations, and to the game of hockey in general. As you said, Emily, uh, without question, a Hall of Famer has grown the game exponentially. Um, under his watch, the NHL has made a lot of money. They've expanded their footprint. They've expanded their footprint globally. I see people have been arguing the merits of the case as to whether or not Gary Bettman should be in the Hall of Fame as a builder. It's it, it's there's no debate to be had. I mean, for God's sakes, why? What what other what other guy fits the criteria more than Gary Bettman? Like him or loathe him? Really? The, is- the issue is this. This is coming only a few a few days after Gary Bettman was booed on stage at the NHL draft. Trying to memorialize the humble Broncos. It became a whole thing because the Dallas fans saw his face and the Pavlovian response is to boo the man. Whether it's at the Stanley Cup final, whether it's the NHL draft, whether it's anywhere in public, the man is booed to the point where he couldn't come out and do a memorial service because the fans automatically thought it was time to boo the guy. The reason is, is because he's an active serving commissioner and there's a lot of animosity towards the man now for the lockouts, for the constant idiotic denial of the link between physical sports and CTE. He's not a very well-liked guy. You know what helps people like a guy or appreciate a guy or at least acknowledge what the guy accomplished? Time. (laughs) Distance. The distance between Gary Bettman's last day as commissioner after what will be, what, lockout five, four in that neighborhood? The last day he's commissioner, a year later, two years later, maybe we all don't like the new guy even more. That's when you put him in. That's when you say, look at this guy. Look at his accomplishments. Look how he grew the NHL. You don't do it right now. When the league is facing a lawsuit over concussions, when the league is a scant couple of years away from another work stoppage it's on fourth, his watch, on his just, watch, you just can't do it. It's just stupid to do it. It's suck. You have Marty Brodeur, arguably one of the best goaltenders in the history of the game, in my opinion, not the best, but one of the best. You have Willie O'Ree, first black player in the NHL. What was the discussion yesterday? Batman. Batman, 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 Batman. So I, I listen. It took like sixteen or seventeen votes from the selection committee to put him in. I'd love to get climb into their brains and find out why now, but I guess we never will because lack of transparency. So I don't know. I, I think we're on the same page though. Like totally deserving of being in the Hall of Fame didn't need to happen right now. There's precedent too, though. Remember Pete Rozelle, the NFL commissioner, who pretty much ushered the NFL into the television era and making the gigantic monolithic. Uh, corporation that is today. He was also inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame while he was an active commissioner. So there's precedent. He, but he's radioactive. Like you can't bring up Gary Bettman without a, 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 a just extreme debate on both sides as of right now. And the idea of the Hall of Fame is it's supposed to be a Valentine to hockey. It's supposed to be a moment of, of praising players and not tearing them down. Can you remember the last time someone was elected to the Hall of Fame where negativity was the vibe? Because that's what's going to happen. I, I, there's going to be people physically ill from from people putting over Bettman uh, with with glo- glowing, glowing uh, tributes to his time as commissioner. The the great leader stuff that we already saw on TSN TV yesterday, like it's going to be nauseating to read that at this point. Wouldn't be nauseating two years after he retires. Right now, though, the man is kryptonite for a lot of people, and you're putting him into the Hall of Fame. It's nuts. It will be an interesting weekend in November, no doubt. All right. Joining us down the line, Hall of Fame goaltender, Martin Brodeur, formerly of the New Jersey Devils, now an executive with the St. Louis Blues. 
Marty, congratulations, sir. Um, first question, you, you said Thank it on you. TV yesterday, and I thought this was a really fascinating thing. You said you, you go into the NHL thinking about playing one game. Uh, you don't go in thinking about being a Hall of Famer. That kind of really put it in perspective for me that when you were starting out, the Hall of Fame was not necessarily on the mind of Marty Berdour. No, not really. You know, I think at the end of the day, we're all, we're all kids uh, playing hockey, dreaming to be uh, to be in the NHL. And so, obviously, uh, as you grow in your career and then and, and you achieve certain goals and uh, things like that, um, you know, you get to meet some of those guys because as a young guy, you don't really get a chance to meet all the famers. And then you probably don't understand exactly what all the famer is. And and so, definitely, when it comes to the you know to the time to to get a phone call from from the hall was uh, pretty special for me, that's for sure. What was Tuesday like for you? You knew the call could be coming, but, you know, you have another job. I think you're sitting there in the stands watching some prospects. Like, were you anxious, nervous? Uh, not, not really. Um, it's kind of uh, one of those things that a lot of people uh, expected me to get the phone call, but they're still a bit uh, nervous. But, uh, you know, everybody, I think, around around the Blues organization here was like, oh, did you get the call yet? Did you get the call yet? <laughs> you know, time was going by, and I wasn't getting the call. Like, wait, maybe something's wrong here. But, uh, no, obviously uh, I was really excited when uh, when the phone rang. I was you know, I was watching the, the young guys here and uh, kind of stepped away a little bit uh, from, from the crowd and then took the call from, uh, from Lanny and uh, John Davidson. I talked to Gretzky once about his hockey nerdism. Like, he's a guy who had a ton of memorabilia growing up, and then during his playing days, he'd loved to go to the Hall of Fame. Of course, Gretzky would have to go in disguise to the Hall of Fame <laughs> and walk the halls with his son to check out the stuff. Are you the same kind of guy? Do you, do you have a real affinity towards, you know, memorabilia, maybe visiting the Hall of Fame, the, the sense of hockey history? Are you kind of a nerd for that stuff? Uh, a little bit. I, I like the history. I like the, you know, the, the evolution of, of the equipment, you know, for, especially for the goaltenders and stuff. Uh, so I had a chance a few times, you know, I, I won some awards, uh, and, um, you know, they kind of opened up the, uh, the Hall of Fame, the back door, you know, I went right where the storage room has probably better things than the Hall of Fame itself. Uh, I got a chance to go through all those stuff that, you know, this type of sticks and companies and all that. And, uh, you know, I really, you know, I'm, I, like Gretz, I, I'm, I collected a lot of my stuff throughout my career, the stuff that are really important. Uh, you know, it's just part of the history of the game, you know, with, what the Hall of Fame is all about. So many players say being inducted into the Hall of Fame is the pinnacle of being a hockey player, but you're well on your way in your second career. Um, you're an assistant GM of the Blues. I'm curious, what are your professional goals now? Um, you know, I, I still have a, a young one at home, so I'm kind of taking it easy a little bit. I don't know the, what kind of commitment I'm ready to, to make to, to kind of take the next step in, 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 in being a manager or, or anything in, in that sort. So, uh, for me, I use this experience right now to, to learn as much as I can and see what the future could bring when when I'll be ready to commit myself uh, a little more. But I know it's been it's been a great learning curve for me. I think I appreciate the opportunity with with Doug and and, and the Blues here to kind of uh, get my feet wet in, in, in that uh, the, the, that uh, my second career here. You know, you, you said you're not quite ready to you know go in full yet, but could you see yourself being a GM one day? Would you like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that I like, and there's other things that it's a little different. Um, like I said, I'm not committed to it yet, a hundred percent, but it's something definitely that I could uh, could lean uh, lean for in the future. Way too many meetings for me, Marty. I don't know if I could do all the meetings <laughs> you got to do. Exactly. I had to postpone you guys like three times. <laughs> Hey, so there's been a lot of talk in the last uh, 24 hours since you were, in, uh, you know, selected for the Hall of Fame about, you know, what was it that made you such a great player? And I always thought in watching your years with the Devils, I go back to something that uh, Jacques Lemaire said about you, about a, a guy that always had two feet on the ground, that he, you were a real normal guy. You know, he had the right temperament, not only to play the position and maybe face, you know, 16 shots a night, but also away from the ice, you were always very sort of positive. It was an optimistic guy. And the question I want to ask you is, is that, is that a function of playing in a market like New Jersey? Do you, do you think that we would have seen a different Marty Berdour if you were in more of a, a place like Montreal or Toronto, like a more pressure situation? Did, did Jersey give you the chance to kind of be yourself? Uh, I mean, I'd like to think so. Um, I definitely, uh, it was, uh, it was a great place to play hockey. I think you kind of flew under the radar a little bit and, and, uh, we had some good teams and, um, but, you know, I think what, 
I attribute a little bit of my uh, the way I am is like I was able to to um, to meet a lot of the NHL players. My dad worked for the Montreal Canadiens, and so you know I was sitting home, and my dad kind of would talk about hockey players or from the Expos or from from the Canadians about their attitude, about how they are, and all that. And I kind of learned, you know, from my dad, like kind of what kind of attitude, like a pro should be, should be like towards you know the fans, towards the teammates, towards the media and um, that really kind of sucked it in, into my head throughout my my youth and and so for me when I became uh, a pro you know it was kind of just natural for me to be just a easy go uh, you know going guy there and and try to just kind of play the game that I love and not sweat the small stuff. Another thing people brought up in the last twenty four hours was the trapezoid. Now I know you hated it when you played. But let's be honest here, you were so damn good, Marty. They had to make a they had to make a rule, Marty, a rule to make sure you couldn't be as good as you were. That's kind of a badge of honor, don't you think? Uh, well, I think a lot of people kind of said it was because of me. I I don't think it was, but anyway, it's uh, <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely something that uh, it was. You know, I, I was able to to master that that part of the game that I guess the NHL didn't, didn't really like <laughs> for our team, but. <laughs> Hey, it is what it is. It was it was the same for everything for everybody. So, who are some of your full, favorite goalies to watch today? And is there anyone that reminds you of yourself? Uh, yeah, there's not many guys that I could say right now that that, that look like me. And the goalie position changed a lot in, in the in the last few years. Uh, but for me, when I played, I, I loved watching Dominic Ashik play. I thought he was he was a spectacular goalie. Uh, and when I was growing up, was uh, was Grand Fuhr, I, I thought he was another goalie that was fun to watch. I'm just curious, how do you think you would fare in today's NHL with the different regulations for goalies? Uh, I, I think it'll be all right. It's like anything, you know, you, you adjust yourself and you and, and you, uh, you 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 kind of learn the new techniques and stuff. But again, uh, still the athleticism of a goalie is really really important, and I think that's one of the strengths that I had. You know, I played. Played for 22, 23 years, so definitely I had to adjust myself. You know, every four or five years to kind of stay on top of my game, and I, I adjusted pretty well. Be able to play till I was uh, 42 years old. I, I was going to say that I know, I know, you know, obviously a contemporary of yours was was Patrick Waugh, and I think a lot of us kind of see you two in, 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 in sort of competitors in the sense of you know breaking each other's records and that kind of thing. I, I don't know what your relationship with him is, but have you talked to Patrick at all about making the Hall of Fame? Um, you know, I, I haven't got the chance, but I'm sure when we see each other, we'll we'll definitely talk about it. You know, me and Patrick have a, a really solid relationship. Uh, we're not best friends by any means, but you know, I think uh, the mutual respect that we have with each other is, is is pretty fun. So, like I said, every time we we come across each other, we we definitely uh, take the time to stop and uh, engage in the conversation. Cool. Last one. Last one for me, man. So. As uh, you know, I, you're an executive in the league now, you know. So yeah, I'm sure you have a certain approach to a question like this. But how weird is it to see Lou Lamarillo as the GM of the Islanders? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little different. It was weird to see him in Toronto, but uh, to be so close to New Jersey, that that's even a little bit different. A little different too, that's for sure. But I'm sure uh, I'm sure he's going to do a good job, like he always does. Yeah. Just easy. to give our listeners a sense of things you're doing, like what's on your docket this week at Prospect Camp? What are your responsibilities? Well, we're just kind of overlooking some of the kids. You know, uh, we have three three of our young prospects, uh, goaltenders that are there. So we're, we're going to spend a little time with them and, and, and our goalie coaches. Uh, but it's kind of nice to, to, to get to know them. Uh, I think that's the plan. It's, uh, it's for our prospect to get to know the staff and, and get to know the other players on the organization because they, they're going to grow to be to become a blue eventually, so they, you know, to these, these uh, three or four days that they spend together here are really important to them, and um, and for me, it's just to kind of get to know, and you know, a lot of young guys are just got drafted this year, so it's first time for us to, to see them on the ice because we're not really in tune of the amateur stuff as much uh, as other guys in the organization. So it gives us an opportunity to, to see these guys uh, perform and and, and and see how uh, how they fit in. 
Great stuff. Well, I mean, now, now you begin your career to get uh, elected as a builder as well as a player. You know, really, <laughs> really start making records. <laughs> All right, Marty. Hey, congratulations, man. Couldn't be happier for you. We'll, we'll see you up there at the Hall of Fame induction. And uh, and uh, congratulations on, on an absolutely stellar career uh, that, uh, you know, is just going to go down as one of the best in the history of the game. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Our thanks to Martin Brodeur for joining us here, talking about his Hall of Fame selection. I Listen, as I make no bones about being a Devils fan. Still am. I watched him win three cups for my team. I might get a little, let's get a little misty in here. Um, but he, uh, he, he honestly, the thing about him that always stunned me is that comportment, that question that I gave him before about his, his optimism, about the way he is off the ice. One of the greatest guys to talk to about the game and, and, and a guy who, um, was was open and and honest and uh, and was willing to sit down with you and explain things. Just a, a dude who really loved hockey uh, to the point where he could talk. He was a, he was the guy that you know would come out and be like Marty Bardor is available. And then we'd all scrum around him, and then he'd still be talking, and the locker room would be empty just because he could go on for that long about the stuff he loves. That's awesome. Yeah, solid dude. All right. Uh, speaking of solid dudes, the NHL draft was uh, this past weekend. Uh, a, m- a bunch of, of, of solid dudes are now added to uh, many different teams. Some teams did better than others. What uh, what were some of your winners and losers uh, from the uh, 2018 NHL draft in Dallas, Emily? Uh, one of my big winners was actually the Detroit Red Wings. I think everything fell into place for them where they picked up Philip Zadina in the first round, and they still were able to get a center, one that everybody valued very highly, and Joe Valeno uh, late in the first round. So that was really big for them because they obviously have a ton of holes to fill in the organization, and now they've got a guy who can just plug in right away. Uh, one of my losers of the draft was USA Hockey, rather uh, hockey in the U.S., and yet again, I am just frustrated by the fact that we have such young, marketable stars, and they're being stashed away in Canada. So not only do we have Austin Matthews in Toronto, and Johnny Gaudreau in Calgary, and Brock Besser in Vancouver, and pretty much the entire Winnipeg Jets roster being American. But now we've got uh, Brady Kachuk, who is just as fiery, if not more fiery, than his brother Matthew, and he has to go to the the poor Ottawa Senators. And we've got Quinn Hughes, uh, who's supposed to be one of these great puck-moving defensemen, and he's going to Vancouver, and it's just, it's not cool, because we just don't get to see them very often, right? They're not our NBC Games of the Week, and Americans, yeah. who are just Fairweather fans, just don't get to know them. Yeah, Brady, Brady Kachuk was, was, is a great kid, uh, to talk to, except when he says things like, oh yeah, I'm a huge fan of the strong management of Ottawa. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> we know, we know you have access to the internet. We, we know what you, we know what's going on there. Uh, my, well, my big winner this weekend with, without, last weekend without question was the New York Islanders. Yeah. Um, just a really impressive draft. Like, like, uh, you know, getting Oliver Wallstrom, uh, is, is a coup. I, I didn't think that he'd be available for them, uh, to them at their pick. And then following up with Noah Dobson, who in, in some circles has gotten Sergachev, uh, uh, comparisons, uh, Bodie Wild, uh, on and on and on. Just a, a really strong draft. I think both our Chris Peters and, uh, Corey Pronman over at the Athletic gave them an A and it was deservedly so. I thought that they had a very, very strong, uh, draft weekend and, and should be uh, quite proud of themselves. Um, losers. You know, I, I think the I think the Boston Bruins right now coming came out of the draft as a bit of a loser, uh, if only because of the Kovalchuk situation. I'm a little bit worried about the uh, uh, the deal on left wing there. That could easily turn around in the next couple of days. Uh, I also thought that a a loser in this in the situation was uh, Philip Grubauer uh, getting away from the draft board and talking about some of the transactions. So he gets a three year, ten million dollar deal from Colorado. That's solid. Mm-hmm. He wants to go someplace and be a starter. Off the hop, he's going to have to share time with Semyon Varlamov until uh, Varlamov Joe, gets injured. Into <laughs> right, or or and he's only got one more year left on his contract. So, in the in the short term, I thought it was a little bit maybe frustrating for him uh, to, uh, to to go to a spot where he's still going to have to be kind of a, a in a backup situation. Um, but uh, but you know it, it is what it is. And then obviously the big winner is the Buffalo Sabers. I mean they they get the best player in the draft. Um, they, he's a, a foundational defenseman. Uh, he's, will he end up being Eric Carlson? Probably not. Will he end up being Nicholas Lidstrom? Probably not. But he ends up being a guy who you can now build around, uh, in a way where this team, uh, is, is maybe finally on the upswing. Uh, God, God willing. Well, Greg, as we're recording this podcast, news has broke on Twitter that there's a pending trade call. Do you know about this? 
I don't. They could be getting some more players in Buffalo, including Connor Sheary and Matt Hudwick from the Pittsburgh Penguins, which obviously would make sense because Sheary fell out a bit of favor with Coach Mike Sullivan and Jason Botterill, the GM of the Buffalo Sabres, has a ton of experience uh, in the Pittsburgh organization. So, hey, those are capable bodies to add to that lineup. They need all that they can get. There you go. But uh, that's an interesting little little salary move there by the... uh Hmm. By the Pittsburgh Penguins. What is uh, Jim Rutherford uh, clearing up space for? Maybe he's a... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to even speculate. <laughs> I think it's a draft pick. <laughs> well, I mean, they just signed Brian Rust yesterday for a pretty uh, uh, cap-friendly deal. I like Rust a, a lot better than, than Shiri, uh who kind of was uh, down the lineup a bit. So there you go. Breaking breaking news here on the uh, the uh, the podcast. Uh, but, uh, of course, in true to form, as soon as we, uh, finish it, you know, Tavares will say where he's going. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> we digress. So, so overall, the draft I thought was, was a pretty entertaining affair insofar mm-hmm. as, no, 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 I was going to say on the, on the draft side of it, like there was okay. definitely some drama there a little bit here and there. Um, some interesting things happened. You know, you talk about what the Arizona Coyotes did, for example, uh, surprising, uh, everybody, uh, with taking Barrett Hayden at number five. Good player. Uh, really, John Chaka really kind of, uh, putting his flag down and saying, this is our guy, despite the fact that nobody really had him going that high. So from a, from a draft jockeying for position, taking guys perspective, it was interesting. From an everything else perspective, trades, transactions, what have you, brutal. Absolutely brutal. Dougie Hamilton uh, and Brooks Warpick trades aside. Yeah, it got to the point where on the day two of the draft, um, everyone was spotting who was in the stands talking. And who was it? It was Mark Bergevin and Alan Walsh talking for a while or Doug mm-hmm. Wilson and Pat Brisson, or Two of those four were talking and everyone just concocted a trade rumor that didn't exist, including mm-hmm. Matt Pacioretty, because we were just so desperate for, as the Canadians would say, drama. Indeed. One note on the Penguins, by the way, Jason Mackey, our friend from Pittsburgh, thinks that uh, possibly this means uh, uh, a Jack Johnson acquisition by the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, so that was the big thing, right? They want him. They want a salary. You know, he's very good friends with Connor. Uh, and by Connor McDavid, I obviously mean Sidney Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. But uh, they clearly need defensive help. And do you know what Pittsburgh is known for better than anything else? What's that? Uh, reviving the careers of defensemen who have been buried elsewhere. Oh, I thought it was placating Sidney Crosby. Anyway, that as well. We'll have a, a lot more to talk about on free agency when Emily and I are in Bristol to talk about that stuff. But coming up on the podcast, we're going to talk about the big free agent, John Tavares sweepstakes, uh, with uh, John Liu of TSN, who's uh, <laughs> staking out the CAA <laughs> yes. offices. You're listening to ESPN and Ice. Uh, we'll be back after this. John Liu is uh, with TSN, and he is uh, stationed uh, outside of the uh, CAA offices uh, in in L.A. to chronicle the comings and goings of the John Tavares uh, sweepstakes. H- how did you get this beat? <laughs> um, I, I think probably because I was doing nothing after coming back from the cup final, guys. And so I said, oh, well, yeah, well, let's throw uh, John back into action. He enjoys going west. Has family out in Southern California, but I haven't been able to see him because we've been on stakeouts for the last two days. But today will be the last one on yeah. the sidewalk outside the offices. I think I'm going to get a star, actually. I think I've been there so long now. I think they're actually going to put a star in the pavement for me. So I've been to CAA offices out there. Um, I could describe it for you, but just for our listeners, describe what it looks like, where you're stationed, kind of what's the scene. Are people looking at you guys funny with all these news trucks out there? Um, well, it's not so much they look at it as funny, Emily, simply because it's L.A. People are used sure. to seeing, I won't, I, I'm, I don't want to call ourselves paparazzi because we're not running down <laughs> the sidewalk or the driveway chasing the GMs and the owners and the head coaches with microphones. We're not doing that, but people are used to seeing news crews and stuff. So they're really just curious, it's like, who are you here for? And on our first day, we started saying John Tavares, and we're met with universally blank stairs <laughs> and um so we switched our answers our pat answers to a hockey player which was met mainly with polite nods and mainly blank stares uh, yeah the kings well hey you know the kings they've had some great success here in the last half a dozen years but on the whole hockey really doesn't resonate in this community so um yeah i think these are mainly uh uh 
office workers in the area or at CAA. But um, we've had to kind of dodge the security, like play the little game that, you know, you can't be on their premises or their property. So then we can't train the camera lenses directly towards the building, uh, which, by the way, Emily, you can attest to this, is a very attractive office tower. It has a very kind of... um, uh, yeah, uh, it, it has a very soft and uh, spacious uh, uh, interior, um, mainly monochromatic, but uh, kind of ivory colored and uh, it has a vaguely Asian feel to it. So I like the feng shui of the, uh, of the <laughs> although the nickname. Be sure to let Pepperson know. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But uh, the nickname, as I found, of the CAA office is the Death Star because it's uh, has very extremely high ceilings, wide corridors. Uh, but, I mean, it's the wrong color, though. It's not black and gray, and I haven't seen any stormtroopers walking around. So um, <laughs> I don't know if that's some reference to just just how foreboding and how uh, how uh, Im- uh, empirical, uh, if that's, that's maybe not the right word, but, but empire-like uh, the CAA uh, firm has within the L.A. community for entertainment and uh, uh, sports and just the client list is like uh, a plus list about oh, yeah, about you know, sure. yeah I mean like Lady Gaga and Tom Cruise on the uh, entertainment side Beckham and Jeter and John Tavares on the sports side <laughs> um, so <laughs> but uh, yeah so anyhow it's uh, it, it's been an interesting week it reminds me a lot of the lockout um, but with much better weather and yeah. uh, so we're uh, frankly we're quite happy to be going home uh, tomorrow morning because. The final two teams, the Stars and the Lightning, will present today. Uh, we hear that there will no be, there will not be any teams added to the uh, to the uh, to the procession. Uh, so the teams that uh, reportedly had call, uh, phone conversations with Tavares's camp have not been granted face to face interviews. And so when uh, the two teams present today, that'll be it. And hopefully within the next day or two, we'll hear uh, what John Tavares's decision yeah. is. So no bad, bad news there for the uh, Vegas Golden Knights and uh, National Predators fans might be thinking they were in the Derby. For the folks that uh, right. have come through, uh, the 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 exalted few that have uh, been given audience with the boy, the boy King, uh, who's who's recognized you? Who's coming up to say hi? Have they, have you gotten any any chat time with them, or are they just kind of blowing you off when they see you? Uh, it depends on where they go into the driveway, Greg, because it's a very <laughs> long semicircular driveway. So if they pull up right to the front door. We're not really allowed to go in and follow them just because the the security guards would kick us off out of the driveway. So right. the the cam our cameras are stationed on the sidewalk at the edge of the driveway. And so um, of the four teams, the ones that we actually uh, the one that we actually did get closest contact was the Sharks yesterday because the driveway was so full they had to pull into the, just the 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 entry point of it. And so Doug Wilson, I was I was just waiting, uh, um, you know, looking at my phone and happened to look up at the right moment. And I see Doug Wilson and Peter DeBoer getting out of a, out of a car, like right in front of us. And so I was like, Hey guys, how are you? It's like, can we talk afterwards? And they're like, ah, no, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the least just because of where my mothership is, right. we did chase them down in the, in the driveway, uh, but without cameras and microphones when they emerged from the CAA offices, uh, Monday afternoon. And, Asked Kyle Dubas and uh, Mike Babcock if they uh, would be uh, willing to do a quick chat with me. And they were very polite in declining us. But uh, we really have come to expect that we're not going to hear from the uh, from the team simply because they're not going to tip their hand. They don't want to, I guess, give the impression of strength or weakness um, right. in the proceedings because I'm sure that they know nothing about what the other teams have presented in terms of uh, potential uh, contract or uh, how they've how they've uh, uh, sang the praises of their market and in what form and fashion. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'd be surprised if any teams did talk to us. And we're down to two now, the uh, the, the two ex-Red Wing teammates. So uh, we'll see what's um, – yeah, uh, if, if we get any cooperation from them today. But, uh, again, it's uh, – it's been a very interesting lockout-like week, so uh, I'll add this one to the uh, to the the list of memoir or the memoir list of uh, <laughs> you know, standing on street corners. <laughs> <laughs> so where's Lou Lamarillo in all this? In my fantasy, he's just inside the offices the entire time, sitting in a glass boardroom, watching everyone come by. Like, <laughs> is, have you seen him gone in and out? 
We saw him um, Monday afternoon, Emily, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't come up the driveway. He didn't go through the front door. Uh, we just happened to, we've been given the heads up from Pat Brisson about the approximate, or well, the approximate arrival times, but the actual meeting times when the teams are going to be coming through. But he hasn't told us uh, which teams are coming when. And uh, so after the Leafs left, we knew that the Islanders were going to be the second and final team of the day. And so right around the time that we would expect to see their procession, we looked through the glass, the massive glass windows in the front uh, front of the building and uh, happened to see Lou and Barry Trotz uh, walking basically from the elevators uh, from the parking garage toward the CAA offices. So they took an alternate entrance and, you know, hey, that doesn't surprise me. Lou is sort of the uh, master of, uh, <laughs> of uh, uh, not cooperating with the media, I guess. And, uh, yeah, so there we didn't expect to, uh, certainly didn't expect to speak to Lou. Um, and uh, we just sort of caught a glimpse of him entering the building at about, uh, if I get my times correct here, I have to account for time zones. Uh, it would have been just before 7 o'clock Monday evening that we saw him, and he left with Barry at about 9.15. So, yeah, they. Uh, uh, we were wondering, we were speculating about how long would they actually talk because we know that there have been conversations between the Islanders and Tavares' camp what more there to say? Last week, right? Yeah, precisely. It's like uh, um, so. <laughs> um, my understanding is that uh, Lou is is sticking around until everybody is done, and uh, I guess at that point, I mean, having uh, the privilege of, of uh, being Tavares' existing team, I guess he's going to put a final push on to uh, try to retain him. But um, yeah, so. Um, whether he's at the CAA building the entire time, like you know, over the last couple of days since four, uh, the last, two teams yesterday and two teams today, uh, whether he's going to stick around and, and uh, have conversations with uh, Pat Brisson um, and or John Tavares after the fact, not so sure about that. I suspect that he probably won't uh, say anything or have further conversations until – um, all the remaining four teams have met with uh, with this player. Last one for me, John, and thanks for your time today. Um, how how, sure. how do you how do you feel about this process? I, I kind of I, I mean it's it, it's one it's sort of and um, it sort of runs counter to what we know about hockey players, which is that it's the name that's the front the logo on the front, not the name on the back. And here's a guy holding court, having people smooch his his backside for uh, for three days, telling him what a great player he is. Two, I find it nonsensical that they're they're allegedly not supposed to talk about contract details. But what the hell are they talking about for three hours? Like they're obviously talking about contract details. So the whole thing's oh, sure, a farce yeah. to begin with. What do you think about this circus? Do you think it's 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 a, it's a fun deal for hockey, or do you think it's sort of the antithesis of what we expect from 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 the NHL? Um, I try to take the temperature from um, from Twitter uh, replies. To stuff that I've tweeted or um, uh, replies on other, or, you know, media colleagues um, coming out with news or commenting on the proceedings, and it seems like fans actually enjoy this. Uh, the, the majority of fans enjoy this. I, I do see some people that saying, "Enough already! This is ridiculous. You're staking out a building, um, and all you're getting are guys getting in and out of black SUVs." And um, well, hey, you know what? Stakeouts are a part of our business. It's just the, it's just the way it is. But uh, I think that the uh, the fans that um, whose teams are in the running, I, I think they find this great theater because of the suspense, the drama, and uh, you know the the eternal hope if they're long suffering fan bases. And uh, so I think that from the perspective of um, of how does hockey perceive this, I don't really have a problem with it. Um, but uh, as far as the hockey players are concerned, I can only imagine that John Tavares wants no part of the circus. Of the uh, the scrutiny and the attention, just because that's the type of guy he is, very low key, right? Very humble, very low key. Doesn't draw attention to himself, and yet here he is at the eye of the storm. And uh, so, uh, the final task or attempt of the day will be: Hey, Pat Brisson, will you or John be willing to speak to us briefly after all this is done today? And uh, again, I I suspect that um, we'll probably get the uh, play, the polite no. <laughs> but um can always hope. But, uh, you know, just to comment on what their impressions were of 
how this week went, what surprised them, what's impressed them. And you know, I mean, obviously they're not going to tip their hand, but uh, just to uh, um, make it worthwhile for uh, the fact that, uh, that the media has, uh, has, has come here and uh, shone a spotlight on it because, Hey, you know what, let's face it. When, when Steven Stamkos did this two years ago and Brad Richards um, prior to him, let's say we're talking yeah. about special players and the best of the best in the league. And uh, so they are going to attract attention and for better or for worse, they're getting it. <laughs> All right. Well, John, we appreciate your time. I know you've got to get back out there. So last thing from me quickly, we're going to hold you to it. Right. What's your gut say right now? Okay. Where is he signing? <laughs> I believe he's going to stay in uh, on the Island. Yeah, I, I believe that uh, with the most recent moves, like uh, Barry Trotz, most recently and prior to that, Lou Lamorello, um, they had a very good draft first round. And uh, I just think that, uh, that they're going to engender more trust in John Tavares this week, and especially through this process. It's a very intense, short process. So he's going to get to know these two men very thoroughly in a short time. And uh, my suspicion is because, um, because of their currency, their success, um, I think that John Tavares will trust that they are going to make the right moves and do the right things to ensure that he can have a good chance of winning on the island and stay at home, as it were. There it is. All right, John, thanks for the time. Happy hunting, and we'll have a great Thank summer you. if we don't see you, man. Yeah, Likewise. My pleasure, Greg. Emily, thanks for having me on. Our thanks to John Liu of TSN for uh, joining us for uh, – Wiping away all those empty McDonald's wrappers uh, in the in the unmarked van outside of CAA <laughs> while they're on stakeout. Um, so that's he's, he referenced the lockout a couple times. It is very much like that. It is very much that vibe of like waiting outside of a nondescript office building for uh, NHL executives in suits to walk out and let you know nothing. And they'll never tell you anything until they're ready to tell you. Uh, so that's very much like that. It's kind of, a, I'm sure everybody who covered the lockouts have, has a PTSD at this point about uh, covering that beat. Um, so from the six that we have left, let's go one by one. Let's knock, knock, knock out each one out. I'd be shocked if you went to Dallas. Like I, I still can't conceive why they're in the Derby other than the fact that there's no income tax in Texas and, and maybe he gets on pretty well with Sagan and Ben. Like I don't, I and was golf. Yeah, and golf. And I, I was just, I don't know, man. When we were in, in Dallas, let, let it be said that I ain't going to be outside anywhere, as we mentioned in the last podcast, in the summertime doing anything. <laughs> um, no, but it's, just, it's like I was genuinely surprised because I feel like if, if the modus operandi for John Tavares is to win a cup, I, I just don't feel Dallas is as close as some of the other suitors are. But they're in it, uh, but I don't think they're going to win it. I think they are too, and maybe I, I agree with you totally. I, I don't think they're that far off. Um, I, I'm just curious to see what Jim Montgomery brings to the table. And my only qualm with them is, okay, this is their third coach in as many years. They have to adjust to a new system. Like next year is going to be a transition year. Like you're not going to win next year. And maybe it was just more of a feeling out process for where they're at. Yeah, Jamie ben, Jamie Ben said he's had five coaches in his career. It's wild. Dallas. That's crazy. Um, that's a that's a it's a very sort of underrated market uh, with regard to like turnover and uh, and and sort of instability. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I, I was surprised to see him there. I don't think they're going to win it. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Hmm. Now that the light the Lightning can can make it work, they'd have to probably trade Tyler Johnson. But my concern which is which would that... literally break uh, Coach's heart there. <laughs> I don't think right. John Cooper would be able to recover from that. But like, well, I mean, it looks at like John Tavares on the bench, I think it'd be all right. <laughs> I think my issue is that, like, they've got so many other salary concerns down the line. Kucherov next summer, Braden Point next summer, Yanni Gord next summer. Uh, the, the money they already have on the cap with Stamkos and Headman. Like, I, I just wonder whether they can make it work. But it's clear that Tavares wants to be there. Like, they wouldn't be in the room. I mean, he could, he's, I'm assuming his, his Google machine has access to cap friendly and he knows exactly what the money situation is in Tampa. For them to be in the room, it's an indication he'd like to go there. He probably wants to play with his boy Stamkos. I just don't know if financially they can make it work. Do you know why they can? And look, they just signed JT Miller to a deal, so maybe it's, you know, that's a deal that's going to be moved, or maybe they keep him. But when you look at their cap friendly, they have no bad contracts. They don't. They, they can move any Outside of, of the contracts. Ryan, the Ryan Callahan one's a bit of a pickle. Sure. Because I think okay. he's got no move protection. But I mean, right. And no one that, wants to right. take him. Yeah. So <laughs> right. in, yeah. in that sense, um, look, they've got a... Sh- I don't know, can't say. They've got a crap ton of good prospects. That was a good uh, self-edit there. And they've got no bad contracts that they can move to anyone. And they've got a GM who they know can pretty much bamboozle anyone in the league. So um, I would feel total confidence if I was Tavares that they can make it work. 
Yeah, it's, it's sort of an Iserman and we trust type scenario. <laughs> but, like, again, if they got him, my God. I mean, talk about windows being open for next season. I mean, granted, er- almost every defenseman outside of Victor Hedman on the team goes free agent after after next season. But for, you know, one season, they're going to be locked and loaded. Um, the uh, Toronto the Maple Leafs. Okay. What? The Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, the Leafs allegedly are going to offer him a one-year max contract and then try to uh, make a gentleman's agreement to then give him an eight-year term next summer. So it's, it would be like nine years total with crazy money. Uh, they're doing it because they can, because you know, on on his next deal, that's when Marner and Matthews are both, both going to need new contracts, and right now they don't. Um, it's a very creative idea, um, but I think it, it all comes down to whether or not John Tavares, A, wants to be a good Ontario boy that goes back to Ontario to play for the Leafs, the team he grew up loving, uh, and also, if a free agent wants to play for Mike Babcock, because at last count, only one did, and that's Patrick Marlowe at the end of his career, because the Leafs gave him a third year on his contract. But uh, Mike Babcock alienated veterans in Detroit, couldn't attract free agents in Detroit, and right now is in in, in, a, in a weird place with a 20-year-old superstar on the Leafs. So Tavares knows all this, and I don't know if he necessarily wants to dabble in the dark arts of Mike Babcock. No, and one of the more interesting things about them is rumblings that they kind of botched the Steven Stamkos presentation when it was done for them. They went too splashy, and apparently good old boy Steven Stamkos just felt so uncomfortable by that. He phoned the Lightning right afterwards and said, just please take me back. It so, um, <laughs> yeah, and there was like rumors, right, that they were like closing off the ice and, um, in the arena in, in Toronto, they were going to film some kind of things. And I wonder if like all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, let's just pump the brakes and have Kyle Dubas just give his smart you- talk. What do you think about him and the Leafs? Do you think there's a chance? Uh, no. I, I think, like you said, it would be super creative. But as much as you mentioned in the John Luke conversation, this is the antithesis of what hockey players usually do. Mm-hmm. That deal would be the total antithesis of everything we know about NHL contracts, right? They don't do these kind of things where it's kind of circumventing the system. And I just don't see that being Tavares. I think he's looking for max money here. The Boston Bruins are a really interesting one for me because they, they've got, you know, a lot of their guys locked up into really cap friendly contracts. Uh, to fit him, to fit in Tavares would be as simple as trying to, uh, move make crazy. David back. Yeah, move Krejci, which is gonna be super easy, despite he's got some, I think, some trade protection, but it's not as if there won't be a market for him. And then figure out a way to package uh, David Backus's contract with a, a prospect or a pick to get that off your cap. They could make the money work lickety split, and then the Eastern Conference will have to deal with John Tavares and Patrice Bergeron down the gut for at least the next, like, seven years, which is a dicey proposition for the rest of the league. Um, they're a real interesting player in this, although I wonder ultimately if, if that's the play that Tavares wants to make. Yeah, I I would not be shocked if they become out to be like team number two or team number three. And with all these teams that already has a bona fide number one center, like the Toronto Maple Leafs, it just, uh, or the Toronto Maple Leafs have Austin Matthews, I think Tavares would supplant him, but I was more thinking of Stamkos. It just yeah. boggles my mind to think of Tavares having to be the number two center on a team. Yeah, right. Uh, the Sharks, obviously, we know, have cleared the decks financially for Tavares. Uh, the pitch is there. The window for them is just as wide open as it is for the Tampa Bay Lightning if they land him. Uh, they seem to, again, I don't think that they make all these moves salary-wise if they don't think that they have a shot. And, and all of this stuff is back-channel. I think they know that they have a shot. I put them second to the Islanders on my list of, uh, of, of, of the Derby on ESPN earlier this week. What do you think about the Sharkies? Yeah, I think, look, the number one goal is to win a Stanley Cup. Out of all of these teams, no team is closer than the Lightning, than the San Jose Sharks. And, you know, nice weather. Tax situation not as favorable in California, nope. but there is golf. And I'm really sticking to my golf sticking point. And you live sticking in to it, sticking out. That said, for all the golf in the world, his stuff is on Long Island. And as we know from this podcast, if you listen to it, these guys... Don't like leaving their stuff. John Carlson, who we'll talk about later, didn't like leaving his stuff. Steven Stamkos loved where his stuff was. John Tavares' stuff is with the Islanders. He wants to win as an Islander. It's funny how we go through all this rigmarole, and yet every single person you talk to is like, yeah, he's staying with the Islanders. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I think maybe he will. Um, but I do think that there is at least a... a I'll, I'll say this. I think there's a better chance Tavares leaves the Islanders than there was Stamkos leaves the Lightning. Hmm. Okay. And and so I think at the ultimately he might stay, and this might just be you know an ego feeding educational process for him. But uh, but I do think that there's there's a mu- there's a much better chance that he leaves than I think there was a chance that Stamkos left last last time I went through this. But you think he's staying with the Islanders or no? I think so. All right. 
There you go. So it's all for nothing. And now it's time for our favorite segment. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. <laughs> It's time for Phil Kessler's Hot Dogs, a segment each week in which we uh, talk about the foibles of the hockey media, the things they do that make us crazy and insane. This time, it is about a trade that went down at the NHL draft involving Dougie Hamilton going from the Calgary Flames to the Carolina Hurricanes in exchange for Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm. Uh, no stranger to post-trade character assassination of Dougie Hamilton as the same thing happened when he was traded from the Boston Bruins to the Calgary Flames. This time... It comes in the form of John Shannon of Sportsnet talking on the fan 690, according to a Twitter transcription, in which he said that, quote, the whole team would go for lunch at Moxie's. By the way, I've eaten at Moxie's, and I would definitely go to lunch there. And Dougie Hamilton would go to the museum. So rather than carouse with his teammates, knock back a few at Moxie's, have some delicious chow, Dougie Hamilton would be walking around the halls of some artsy-fartsy museum trying to better himself. Emily. Getting his culture on. <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, when I read this, it honestly felt like a um, parody of what a, a hockey reporter might write. Like, I felt like this was the SNL skit of, like, okay, hockey players traded. How does the media react? Uh, so, look, I feel for Dougie Hamilton, like you mentioned, this is the first time it's happened to him. Uh, I... I'm a journalist, so I'm all for getting the truth out there, but this feels like, you know, some dirty laundry and someone just took one anecdote that they heard one time and ran with it totally out of context. So here's to Dougie Hamilton and finally getting uh, the peace and solidarity and that he needs to find in Carolina. He can find his game there and maybe there are some museums that he can check out and that'd be cool if he's into that. And speaking of journalists, uh, Elliot Friedman came forth with what was probably the more accurate description of what happened with Dougie Hamilton, which is that the Calgary Flames wanted to uh, move him off the top pairing with Mark Giordano to reunite TJ Brody and Mark Giordano next year, which means that Hamilton would have been on a second pairing with Travis Habenick. And uh, and he wasn't down with that. He was kind of bitter about it. And That uh, actually sounds like something a hockey player might do. It sounds like what might probably actually happen versus, hey, where's Dougie? We're going to Moxie's. Where's Dougie? Oh, Dougie's at the Met. Dougie doesn't want to come to Moxie's. He's at the Met. I mean, for God's sakes, it's a dumb sport. All right, now it's time for puck headlines. <laughs> Dateline, Washington. The Capitals and John Carlson go eight over eight after they move Philip Grubauer and Brooks Orpik to the Colorado Avalanche. Orpik then is subsequently bought out. Uh, when the trade was made, it seemed pretty apparent that Carlson was going to do what we all thought he was going to do, which is stay with the Capitals, where his stuff is. And uh, and Brian McClellan, their GM, said we were close when the trade went down. We didn't realize how close. He signed within less than 48 hours from that trade. Your thoughts on John Carlson going long-term to remain with the Capitals? It makes a ton of sense. I mean, they're hamstrung by the guys they have. They have so many guys now under long-term contracts, whether it's um, now Carlson, they've got Oshie, they've also got Orlov, but... Uh, I was in charge of writing the free agency capsule for this team, and it's like the off season would be a win if, and it's like it's already a win. They did all they need to do. <laughs> like they're in a little bit of negotiations right now with Devonte Smith Pelly. I could see a situation where he walks if they're not giving him what he wants. Um, maybe they get Orbit back, maybe they don't. But like this team that you see right now, this is what you get, and Kempney as well. The Smith Pelly thing's interesting because I think you know. I, I... Inadvertently helped fuel the flame with a joke I made about the idea that he wasn't tendered a qualifying offer because of his uh, comments about the White House. It's more along the lines of they they didn't want to go to arbitration with a guy who now all of a sudden has a better case than expected because of how well he played in the postseason. So it makes sense. They're trying to get a bargain. Yeah, trying to get a bargain, trying to save some money off the cap, which is what you do when you sign John Carlson eight over eight. Look, I think that uh, the Capitals showed once again that in order to win in this league, you have to have a guy like John Carlson in your blue line. Is he worth eight over eight? Is he worth Dowdy money or Subban money or Brent Burns money? No, he's not a Norris guy. He's just a really solid defenseman uh, who is going to do the thing for at least five years out of those eight years. And it's a problem the Capitals would have created for themselves had they let him walk away. They know what they have in Carlson. It was a smart move to get him back in. The money's crazy. Blame but thanks, Oliver Ekman Larson. Yeah, blame blame Oliver Ekman Larson and unrestricted free agency. But obviously, Carlson's contract uh, goes a long way towards uh, the blockbuster deals that Drew Doughty and Eric Carlson are going to end up getting on their next deals. Uh, Dateline, Los Angeles. 
The Ilya Kovalchuk Derby ended with the Los Angeles Kings signing him with a three-year deal worth $6.25 million a season, crushing the hopes and dreams of Ilya Kovalchuk playing left wing on the Boston Bruins, which is where I thought he could end up. But it turns out that all the geographic stuff said about Kovalchuk before he returned to North America about wanting to be in the Northeast was uh, malarkey because that last check, Los Angeles was not in the Northeast. Your thoughts on Kovi getting three years from the Kings? It makes a ton of sense. And from my understanding, this was always the front runner, at least over the last month or so. Um, in fact, there was rumblings at the draft that the Kings were the only team that, like, upped it to three years and they didn't even ask the other teams to go up to three years uh so then he can be like well they're the only ones that did it so uh look this uh rob blake is totally doubling down on this core he is i believe it's the eighth player over the age of 30 on the roster which is pretty incredible uh they gotta win now or else they're kind of screwed yeah it's it's pretty stunning to think about the age of this team um but again like you add him to the mix uh, i i'm somebody who thinks that he's going to make an impact i'm somebody who thinks that he can certainly help your your power play at the very least uh it will be interesting to see exactly where they slot him one assumes it would be on the left side of Andre Kopitar or else why on our on earth we call truck sign there uh and then it goes a long way obviously towards establishing the kings as a contender uh for the next couple of years which is going to be important with regard to the Drew Doughty negotiation happening uh, uh, as early as July 1st so, good landing spot for Covey. Uh, a little bit nervous about the Kings being so old, but, uh, that's two strong lines when healthy. The Carter, the Carter line and the Kopitar line. And after uh, a, a series where they got swept out of the playoffs after scoring just three goals, you'd assume yeah. that this guy could help out a bit. Offense was an issue for sure. Uh, Dateline Montreal. I think we're all in agreement that Max Pacioretty is going to be traded this summer. Uh, there's way too much smoke there for there not to be fire. It almost happened at the draft, according to Eric Engels with Sportsnet, who reported that Max Pacioretty was almost an Islander. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly was almost a Canadian. And the Sabres almost ended up with uh, at least one of the Islanders' first-round picks. But the deal fell apart, according to Engels, when the draft started. The pieces started to fall into place, and all of a sudden the Islanders realized, my God, we're going to get two pretty good players uh, around uh, roundabouts our picks in the first round. So it all fell by the wayside. Where, where do you end up? Where do you see Pacioretty potentially ending up, Emily? Uh, when this is all said and done, anywhere but Montreal. <laughs> like I, I could probably list you five or six teams where it would make sense. And look, this is super inside baseball here, but the fact that he switched agents from one of the biggest in the game in Pepperson, who not only has Tavares, but Taze and Kane and Austin, well, not Austin Matthews anymore, but a ton of other clients. Uh, to Alan Walsh, who's very respected in the field, but is not Pat Brisson. I believe the connection there was Alan Walsh is Jonathan Duran's agent. Duran is good friends with Pacioretty. Uh, that's significant, and I think it, he was unhappy with the way things are going. It's clear he's unhappy in Montreal, and uh, like you said, I think it's clear he's moving, and I, I literally couldn't even list you a team because I could probably name six or seven. Yeah, the interesting thing is Brisson is best friends with uh, Mark Bergevin, the uh, general manager. Of the I don't know if they're best friends, but they have a very a long relationship. Well, I don't know. Like, if they're I don't think they're going to Nantucket together. Yeah, yeah, or I don't know if they like. I don't know if they wear one of those lockets where like Brisson has one half of the heart and Ber- Bergevin has the other half, but they're real mm-hmm. close. <laughs> Not close enough to get in the room with John Tavares, but but close regardless. Um, so maybe there was some heat there. I always thought the St. Louis Blues were a really interesting landing place for Pacioretty, but I think also the Blues have to really kind of uh, conserve their resources to try to find a solution at center. Can we talk um, about the Blues for a second? Yeah, anytime. I'm starting to feel bad. For, <laughs> I feel like they're the team that's always in the name for the big hunt, like in the hunt for the big name, right? They Tavares, right. they're they're going to be there. They don't get an audience. Kovalchuk, it didn't even feel like he sniffed them. And I'm starting to wonder, like, do guys not want to go there? What's going on there? It's weird because every every account that I get from the players that are around that team that live in that area, they love it. Especially um, the guys they, with families. It's a great place to raise yeah, kids. It could just be a, a team, but they're you know they're a franchise that treads water, man. They're, you can't you can't say that they're a cup contender uh, because they they have sort of been in this purgatory of being a team that could make it to the second round if that, and never never farther. Almost kind of Washington Capitals disease. Um, 
so you have that, uh, and, and you know, there, there was one guy that went there, which was Paul Stasny, and then you know he never really lived up to the contract. So tough to say exactly what's going on there, but you know they seem to be in the conversation for everybody, and they don't end up actually being in the conversation for anybody, which is a weird deal. Um, by the way, Paul Stasny is nuts if he doesn't stay in Winnipeg. Stay, stay between Ealers how, and Lanning. How, how's that going to work, though? Why? They're going to have to trade some people. I mean, they have 20 RFAs to sign. Sure. Not 20, but 11. I'm saying for the betterment of his career, stay there. You'll be happy. You'll win, probably win a cup. But he's yeah. going to probably take some big <laughs> contract offer from Montreal, and then within a year, everybody's going to be like, ha, 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 he makes too much money. There's not enough return. Plus, Low key, I love him. Oh, keep plus, going with plus, your French accent. Plus, plus probably, you know, knowing Montreal, they'll move him to the wing. Uh, <laughs> Low key, I love him in Colorado. Um, that would be an interesting return. I mean, I don't know if necessarily... Again, it comes down to this. Whatever money he... You could make the argument that John Carlson doesn't make, doesn't, isn't worth the, the, the eight million dollars he's going to make annually. But, but you could also make the, 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 the argument that, that he's at least closer to that than whatever the hell Paul Stasny's going to get. I'm not a Paul Stasny fan. And, really? and, and I think, no, I think that he I is. Am. I drink the Kool-Aid. You can drink the Kool-Aid all you want. That's fine. I just think that, you know, his, his career uh, was revived by playing in between two great young players in Winnipeg. That's where he should stay. I think if, if you're, if you, the money he's going to get on the open market is going to be money that you give somebody who is a player that can create offense and be a driving force and be a top center. And I don't see that from him. I just don't. Yeah, uh, but it's I'd either stay, I'd stay pay away. him or Tyler Bozak. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's a barren wasteland, as per usual in UFA land. I wish I wish there wasn't an old boys network preventing people from tendering offer sheets because a life would be much more interesting, and b they wouldn't waste their money on guys like Paul Stasny. Dateline Boston, 2018 second round pick Axel Anderson was asked who in the NHL he models his game after. His answer was Charlie McAvoy. Amazing. My question to you, my question to you, Emily, is how old does this make you feel? Like I'm 50. <laughs> Real old. What about you? Uh, like I'm 90. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's no, unfortunate. I, it it kind of reminds me of like, um, you know, if you walk, if if someone said to you like this week, like, what's your favorite movie of all time, and you were like, The Incredibles two. Like it's just it's too soon. You can't have players saying that they model themselves after Charlie McAvoy. So good, and the feminist spots were spot on. <laughs> Elastigirl was awesome. I just I just don't understand. Like he, he didn't even play a full season. He wasn't even up for the Calder because he didn't play a full season. You can't say you model his you, you game after him. You didn't even see him play a full season. Maybe he watched all of his tape at BU. That must be it. Mm-hmm. Nah, listen, I think Charlie McAvoy is a great player to model yourself after. So long as you can find a Zidane Char to play with. Um, so that's book headlines for this week. Uh, now it's time for uh, the ESPN rant line in which we invite all of you to uh, call us up and we play your rants on the air. And this week, it's about manufacturing fan culture in the NHL. Hi, Greg and Emily. This is Sean from the Hockey Hotbed of Mississippi calling again to leave not so much a rant, but a genuine fear I have for the NHL teams going forward. I'm afraid the NHL is going to see the magic Vegas had this season and learn the very wrong lesson from it. In my mind, the clear lesson here is that the Knights embraced the community and created an identity and tradition that was unique to their city and their team. The other sport that does as well is college football. And Nashville seems to be on the right track as well with Smashville and the Catfish. So I'm afraid other NHL teams are going to see this and just come to the conclusion of, oh, so fans want over-the-top pregame shows. Okay, let's just copy that. What do you guys think? Thanks for the call. It's it's an interesting point. Um, I, I think we've talked about it before on the show that Fan culture seems to be the the thing that the NHL all of a sudden knows how to market mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to Vegas, when it comes to Nashville, when it comes to even a, a, a team like Winnipeg, who otherwise would be impenetrable to a, a casual U.S. sports fan. But when you see the whiteout and everything else, you're like, oh, this is really cool. It's sort of a, as, you, as, as you mentioned, sort of a college sports vibe to that. It felt like game day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, I, so I, on the on the one hand, I think it's good because I really do think that it does make 
hockey more relatable when you can talk about the community of it, the fan culture of it. I think it's something that you and I, Emily, often do on our in our work in, in on ESPN is to try to reach a larger, broader audience by talking about the cultural aspects of hockey versus the myopic stuff. Um, I I I do I do agree with you though that like. You know, Vegas is a very singular thing when it comes to the kitsch, when it comes to the night on the ice, to everything else. I, I don't, I don't want to go to, you know, a devil's game and, and see, I am the great Satan. And then all of a sudden, like a bunch of monks show up and he kills them with a, with a fire sword or something. Yes, you do. You want to see that. Yeah, come to think of it. Uh, so I, I agree with you that if, if it gets too over the top, it might be too much. I think Vegas is a singular thing. I think, like you said, the, the best we can hope is that every team, knows their audience, plays to their audience. That's the secret of the National Predators, was that in the beginning, they didn't really know what they had. They were trying to sell hockey to a, a community that didn't really know that much about it. And then finally, at some point, they kind of embraced the country music roots and did the Smashville thing. And now all of a sudden, they have this intrinsic connection. They were all of a sudden speaking the language of the fans. And to me, that's always going to be the bigger trick than, you know, what sort of razzle-dazzle you could put out there before the game. Yeah, I'm with you. I think for me, this is all about authenticity. And as long as you're authentic to your market. And I don't know if it necessarily needs to be something huge. And the example I would use is Chicago. Like when I go to a game at the United Center, the one thing that sets Chicago apart from any other arena it's a national anthem, right? The way they sing it, the way people all stand for it and listen for it and, and get chills when, when it's, you know, sung. So, um, I think, you know, or Renee Rancourt in, in Boston and what was there. So as long as you're unique and singular to your market, it doesn't have to be razzle dazzle, but each market could have something. Indeed. Emily, where can people send their rants for subsequent episodes? Y'all can give us a call at 860-516-1029. And that is ESPN on Ice for this week. Our thanks to our guests. Our thanks to you for listening. If you dig what we do, please do rate us on iTunes. It helps people find the show. And uh, we will talk to you next week for a little post-free agent frenzy action. Emily and I will be in Bristol for it. So it'll be one of those in-person type dealies. Hopefully we can drag somebody from the campus in and put them in front of the microphone to talk to somebody about hockey or whatever. And, uh, yeah, that's ESPN Ice. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.